Hello and welcome to Pod Rocket. Today I'm here with Uri Goldstein, who's uh, the founder of the Guild. Um, how are you doing, Uri? I'm good. How are you, Ben? I am doing well. I am excited to learn about the Guild. It, it sounds like a, uh, like a group of superheroes, but I have a, a feeling it's a bit more technical than that, or m- maybe it's uh, technical superheroes, perhaps. Maybe it's uh, we're just regular people, I think. But I think uh, there was a lot of. Uh, I don't know. People always think about, they don't know a lot about us, so they think all kinds of things. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm, I'm excited to learn. So um, you, you previously worked at, at Meteor uh, right before founding the Guild. So I, you know, we can talk about Meteor, we can talk about uh, GraphQL, and, uh, but maybe first you could, you could tell us a bit about uh, what, what's the Guild. Yeah, so the Guild is a, is a group of individual open source developers. Um, that got together in order to, let's say, build sustainable open source. Um, so uh, there's a lot of ways to do open source today. Um, and we just tried to maybe find other ways or that are complementary to a lot of the th- ways that companies do open source today. Um, that's basically it. So, and we keep trying all kinds of models and for until now for about a few years now it's working great so yeah and we're currently we're focusing about graphql um but it's just because it's been valuable to us like as a technology um but we're doing all kinds of other stuff as well in open source so so what do you mean by sustainable like um what does that mean in the context of open source and are there examples of uh popular open source projects that maybe aren't sustainable that you're kind of trying to, to build things in a different way? Yeah, I won't, uh, I won't say like, you know, bad things about other projects, but I think um, for me, sustainable means, so when I first heard and got acquainted with open source, my mind was blown. Um, and, and I thought, first of all, the idea was amazing. And then I tried to be to get to do as much open source as I could as a as just as an individual, uh, but there's an issue where you don't get money for it, and you need to you know feed yourself and things like that. And um, and then my goal was to get into a company that does open source. So that's uh, my, my dream job was you know many years ago was to work at Meteor Development Group. That was my dream, and I somehow got it. Um, and uh, that's one model, you know, like a company that is like, it's a startup, they, you know, they raise money and then they build a product and open source there is like, you know, it's amazing because they can push a lot of open source and they, you know, push the whole community forward. Another um, model is like, you know, open source by the big companies where they try to like, you know, it's good for hiring many times and, you know, for education and for things like that, which is also very, very nice. Um, but I think um, there's also all kinds of downsides in those. And um, I think uh, what we tried or what I defined as open, sustainable open source is, a, is a, let's say, something that is um, going to continue evolving uh, for a long time. So, you know, not just one-off idea that is great, but um, something that continues to evolve with time. And every day, um, the maintainers can listen to uh, the community and and get the feedback and do something about it, which sounds trivial. Um, but I think the 
this this uh, ability to have the time to listen and then to act on it uh i found more and more rare even on very popular open source projects um so that's what we try to do best you know just to listen and to be able to um then respond to it and so tell me about some of the projects that the guild is building. Um, you know, it, it sounds like you're primarily uh, working around GraphQL, but I'm cu- yeah, curious to learn about, uh, you know, specifically uh, what's being built. Yeah, so so we started as, um, so like I said, I, I was, like you said, I, I was working at Meteor and in the process where we migrated into Apollo and built Apollo, um, which was very exciting times. And at the beginning, are the guilds open? Most of the guilds open source uh, libraries weren't libraries; they were just PRs to existing projects um, for things that we were missing. Um, and at that time, uh, we just we we had clients that we supported and worked with, um, and our goal was just to support them better. So, if there was an open source project that we saw that could be better, we just submitted PRs. Uh, we didn't try to be this you know, GraphQL force that we are today. Um, but then what we were pretty amazed to see is that there are so many very popular projects out there that don't even, don't even have the capacity to actually review and, um, and you know, and merge pull requests, even if we do all the work. So all of our um, projects started from just PRs, but then slowly evolved into things like one of the first and probably one of the more popular projects that we have now is called the GraphQL code generator. Um, and the GraphQL code generator is now very popular, but when we started, nobody really got why we are building it because there was Apollo code gen uh, and everyone was using it. And um, now it seems like history, but you know, it just, we're, we slowly, we build, we had a bit of a different angle to it. And I think the main thing we've done was just for four years, we day, we worked on this project daily. We listened to um, the community. We, we 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 track every issue that is open. And after four years, no matter what you do, uh, you get a good project out of it. Like I think it's for me, it was the the realization that it's not about like this amazing idea from the sky that you create and then you know that solves everything. It's just kind of like this grind of every day just listen to your community like the community is just is way more smarter than you so if you just put yourself in a position to listen uh the projects will be amazing so that's our uh current philosophy i think and aside from um or actually maybe first we talk about code gen if that's uh it sounds like one of your more important projects like what does that tool do and maybe how is it different than the apollo code gen tool that came before it so um, the GraphQL code generator is uh, is basically based around the idea that what, GraphQL has a schema and query and queries. So um, and GraphQL as a query language is something that um, once you have the schema and you have the query, you have predictable results. So the idea is once you have that, uh, maybe we could generate things that will help us during development. Um, so the first things are um, let's say I have a query and I know the shape of the result that I'm going to get, I can generate the typings for it, for example, the TypeScript typings. Um, but then we took that idea and we built, we actually took inspiration from the Swagger code generator 
um, because the Swagger code generator is like, there's like a whole ecosystem around it. Like you can generate TypeScript, you can generate um, Angular specific code and React specific code and also on the backend. Um, so we basically build it more as like a, a tool to build generators. So today you have like generators for basically almost any language you can think of, like Java, Swift, uh, .NET, uh, and um, front-end code, back-end code. Um, so you can generate like ready-made React hooks that are fully typed, uh, all kinds of fancy things. Um, and again, this was, it started as a simple generator, but built with the idea that the community will have the tools to build what they need uh, instead of us knowing all the answers. Uh, and it proved to be successful. And with time from that project, we grew into more and more projects. And, um, and again, just because of necessity, um, later on, we started taking uh, or, you know, taking ownership on deserted projects. So for example, Prisma was very, very kind. Uh, they were also very big in the GraphQL world. And they had a lot of very interesting projects, um, but they also kind of like left them behind and they were very kind to give the responsibility to us. And we revived these projects. Also Apollo moved uh, GraphQL tools for us. And we did with a bunch of other important tools. So yeah, um, um, I don't know how we got uh, to this position, but uh, just, I guess, working every day and uh, being consistent. And tell me, I'm curious to learn about Envelope. Um, that's the kind of you know plug-in system for GraphQL. Um, you could we talk may learn more about that? Yeah. So um, Envelope was just launched. Uh, I think it was two days ago, uh, maybe or oh, okay. So very topical. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we are been we've been using it for I think six months now. Um, and the idea was that we had a bunch of different clients that we support. Uh, customers, and they all had the same issue, repeated issues that or solved the same. We, we, we found ourselves solving the same issues across all these different uh, clients. And because these clients had different choices, like some would use Festify, some would use Express, uh, they couldn't share, um, you know, the, the, the solutions between them. And we thought that maybe there is a better abstraction here that, um, you know, we could kind of like detach, um, you know, how you do HTTP um, and how you execute GraphQL. And then you could actually reuse uh, a lot of the things, no matter what are your choices are. And then we started detaching more and more things. And we ended up with this thing that basically hooks into the GraphQL GS, um, all the GraphQL uh, GS functions and gives you an interface to build very powerful plugins. Um, so now uh, we basically freed ourselves from, like it, it did two things. Like one, it freed ourselves from being reliant on all kinds of popular servers in the ecosystem that did everything for you, but made all the choices for you. So you got stuck with like, or all dependencies or specific choices that are not necessarily good for you. Uh, but also it freed us from, um, like, um, it, it freed us to use all kinds of new things in GraphQL GS that, you know, weren't even published yet. So it's kind of like became this, let's call it the Babel of GraphQL. Like you could use now, you can install a plugin and you can use a, 
a feature that is just you know being proposed right now in the working group. Um, yeah, so so we took that idea and it just it started with a, again like with a very small idea and then we started reaching out to all the you know all kinds of uh, people in the ecosystem and then existing frameworks and now uh, more and more frameworks are actually being migrated and built on top of envelope like one um one that we can mention is redwood redwood js uh we worked a lot with them they were super nice and we collaborated with them a lot and they basically now you can if you uh use redwood js you can use basically envelope and all of its plugins um for us it's like um now we have it freed us i think it was a very big thing for us because it freed us from now basically opening the whole ecosystem so there's nothing now that holds us back from using the latest things improving things overall or doing like workarounds because one library or another is not so up to date or something or the maintainers are not there now it's suddenly you know we could look at the whole stack and say everything that we see that is valuable we can actually do uh so we're very excited about it and can you use envelope with um you mentioned redwood but like with a, a uh, apollo stack or kind of any of the other common graphql stacks that people are using yeah so um like the, the most popular server today is apollo server uh they just released uh 3.0 which was kind of like uh i guess it was a step in the in, in the same direction that we think of like apollo server is just three is just doing a bit less than it used to do and they updated some dependencies um, and they came back to do some work on it, which I think is great. Um, the thing is that uh, they still don't let you customize some things. Um, so we opened uh, actually like a discussion on Apollo server. Um, so you could use Apollo server today with envelope and you will get to use, let's say, some of the plugins from uh, envelope. But because Apollo server is hiding some things, um, you can't use all of the envelopes uh, plugins. But in order to do that, it doesn't require actually any breaking changes from Apollo. So um, we kind of like posted everything that's needed in the thread, um, but it's more about Apollo having the time to invest in their framework. Like we would be able to do, we would be happy to do the PRs and the changes, but again, it's all around, you know, if they're there to actually maintain it and merge it and support it. So um, I don't know, hopefully for them uh, it will make sense. But with all the rest of the frameworks, uh, we're, we're working very closely, like with Loopback from IBM, um, also Nest, we're having a PR, up, up and coming PR. Um, and also uh, like we ourselves are just using Envelope as is without just as the only framework, like uh, uh, with GraphQL Helix, uh, that is like the HTTP connector. So um, theoretically you don't need anything else, but if you're using something else, uh, you can just or wait or encourage uh, the framework uh, developers to, to take a look at it. So I'm curious to learn more about the guild as an organization. Um, you know, are you guys set up as a as a company or nonprofit or just a loose collection of people that work together? Um, yeah, how does it work? So we're um, a group of people. For some, we we are also formed as a company, mostly because it's easier for our customers to then 
you know, uh, financially interact interact with us uh, through one, you know, regular company. Um, but everyone is our individuals, and this, we have all kinds of weird philosophies. Like, for example, um, all the libraries that we maintain are under people under people's names on GitHub. They're not under the org. Um, and we really think that this actually makes into there's all kinds of reasons to do that, but first of all, uh, I think it's important that the contributor itself, there's a main contributor, that they would get the the benefits they deserve. Like even if they work under a company, it's their work. Um, so I think they will have more responsibility, but then also more benefits if it's under their name. Uh, and I saw so many times where a library that is under the, the company's name but there's just one person uh, maintaining it. That person, when they leave the company, you know, the, the project is dead, and the company won't tell anyone. So it's also so we, I saw that a lot. So I think that's a way more sustainable model, um, and I think it's more fun as well. <laughs> I mean, the, for the people that actually maintain the library, it's just it's just nicer. Um, and the way we work is kind of like. Uh, we have uh, we have all kinds of revenue sources. Like the biggest one until now was um, just working like consulting. So um, we work with all kinds of companies. Uh, we basically uh, do consulting and development. We never do just consulting. So if someone comes to us and asks us like, "Hey, what's the I don't know the best stack to use or what's the right architecture?" That's always for free because that's just fun for us and we can learn. Uh, and we, what I think the difference between us and I don't know, like startup companies, is that we like the work, uh, you know. So giving like giving uh, giving like a generic advice about GraphQL, anyone can do, uh, and you don't need anyone for that, and it's all online. Um, so we like the the talking, and we like to meet people all all, all day. We're meeting people, and we help them, and but we do that for free. And what we really like is to look into like. You know, an existing code base that is very weird and, you know, there's all kinds of nuances and then realize, you know, how the open source libraries can solve those issues, these issues and not just like generic stuff. So I guess this is kind of our advantage, maybe, because we like to work, which, some, you know, many people just like to automate everything and do as little work as possible. I think we can we build this environment where it's fun to work. Um so that's a big, that's the main source of revenue. But then just from like, um, we just thought, oh, maybe like just because clients ask us to do that, that some of the things we open source or some of the ideas that we saw they need, they wanted us to host it. So we thought like, oh, maybe we can actually build like also some SaaS products. Uh, but unlike, we didn't want to take any, you know, we didn't want to be pressured and we didn't want to take money from investors and stuff. So we just started building it as we go. And that worked also, this started this year and that worked extremely well. Like we, we built this product called Hive, which is like a schema registry and it does a bunch of other things. And it's it's been crazy successful and we're pretty amazed that it's possible. It's like very different from the regular story of like, People having an idea, they raise money, they do a big launch, and like, you know, it's it's like no, we're just we're building it slowly. We gather people, and they pay us for a SaaS product, but you know, it's very relaxed environment, and it's been amazing successfully for us. So we're 
pretty surprised by that. And we have all kinds of other things like that working because now in, in the in the in the way because now we're suddenly it, it's like open source. We started very bad and then slowly learned the way, and now we are like you know dominating the GraphQL ecosystem. And not because we want to dominate, just because we work every day and we like it. Now we're starting to do it with SaaS products, so it's really weird. Now we're like you know we're setting up new deployments and like we're you know handling huge traffic and it's becoming, you know, nicer and nicer, and we're becoming better and better in that. So it's really fun. Um, so I, I guess the idea, the basic idea is, we look at it as this cycle, like everything feeds itself. So we have this, I, you know, we work for something, and then we have this idea that will make it easier. So we open source it, and then people use it. And the more people use it, the more feedback we get. And then from the more pe- people are happy using it, the more people are happy to work with us and hire us. And that means we have more clients. And from those more, for those clients, we get more feedback and then feeds back the open source. And then, you know, from the open source, maybe we think, oh, maybe this part could also be hosted for you and, you know, managed for you. So we that feeds back into that. And then it's like this one cycle that everything that we add just feeds back for all the rest. And it's, so it's like, it's working slowly, but the more, it's advancing the faster it goes. Um, yeah, uh, I don't know if I talked too much, but uh, yeah, <laughs> that's basically it. Yeah, I'm curious. Um, you, know, you mentioned Hive, which is this uh, schema registry uh, tool you're you're building. Curious to learn a bit bit more about that. Yeah, so um, it started again from a library, like an open source library from uh, Camille from the guild that's called the uh, Inspector, GraphQL Inspector. And the idea there was um, we could just um, identify breaking changes in your schema. So idea, the idea was how can we get as much information as we can f- from your source code? You know, one thing is like you can now, uh, with GraphQL Inspector, you can look at, let's say you make a PR to your GraphQL server. Um, doesn't matter what technology you use for your GraphQL server, we can tell you on the CI level if you made a dangerous or breaking change. Um, and that's cool because you know you can stop these changes. But then you know the next phase was, oh, we can actually, because of, again, all kinds of other open source projects we, we got was, we could also read all your queries you know, across all your code base. Basis. So now we can give you in inspector things like what fields you're not using. You know, so maybe you could deprecate them, um, or what fields are similar to each other, um, and all kinds of cool things like that. So um, that was nice, and GraphQL Inspector became super popular. Um, and again, we we slowly build it, and then the next phase was wait a second. Um, you know, GraphQL Inspector is great, but what if I had also the live data? Because let's say I'm. Uh, I, I can look at the code base um, that you have, um, and I can see that you know you're not using a certain field uh, in your code base in, in your source code. That doesn't mean there's not like a live client somewhere or a third-party consumer of your API that is still querying that field. So you can't really know, uh, and you can't really deprecate anything with any certainty. So then we started, you know, okay, so let's gather that data and just help you with your workflows, you know, tell you, give you more information on those fields. Like 
maybe I, you can now, I don't know, do all kinds of rules. Like, for example, you could deprecate that field if nobody used it in the last 30 days or something. Now, none of those ideas are like very original. Like Facebook has been doing it from the start, like like all of GraphQL, like Facebook has been, you know, leading this uh, this technology and ecosystem for a while. So it's nice to give that those abilities to others. Um, and then, so that's how Hive started. Um, and it started as an open source, but then very quickly people just told us, hey, you know, we just prefer for you to also just host it. Um, so it said, okay. And then people said, other people said, we want to run it on-prem. So we said, okay, fine. You know, so, you know, we're very, there's nothing, uh, you know, there's no like, uh, I don't know, there's no pressure. Like we can do anything. So, um, so it just grew and grew. And then, you know, the product always evolves. Like later on, we saw, oh, we have the data. What else could we do? So all of our, most of our clients are using, let's say, Datadog or, you know, Prometheus and like Sentry, you know, so we don't want to compete with those tools because those tools are amazing, but we do have data that is graphical specific. So with Hive, for example, you can look into all those like tracings and, uh, and analytics that you get on your queries in a GraphQL specific way. And then those are connected directly to Datadog. So you can just click and jump into Datadog to get the full picture. Uh, so all kinds of things like that, just because they're, you know, kept evolving and things like that. So, um, yeah, uh, that's Hive. Basically, there's more features, but uh, um, yeah, every day there's there's a new feature. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it sounds very cool. Definitely gonna gonna check it out. Um, it, it looks like on the website it's um, still in early access. So if if folks want to learn more, should they just put their email in and, and sign up for early access? Yeah, exactly. We're we didn't thought we'll have so many uh, customers so quickly and in such scale. Like uh, we just onboard now, you know, a couple of uh, companies every day, and yeah, now the only reason we're it's again a weird because we're there's no pressure, but the only reason um, you know it's not like in 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 like full fully out there out of beta is just because we didn't have time to like release a blog post about it or something, you know, we, because we had a bunch of releases, like we need to release envelope and tomorrow we're going to release a new version of GraphQL tools. And we have a new version of mesh and, and also a new, we are releasing a Swift GraphQL, which is like a new um, GraphQL client for Swift. So it's just, we need to get into moving it out of, uh, to just find the time to write the blog post. But um, basically it's way over, um, the production phase, like there's companies, uh, really big companies that are using it today in production. So, um, if someone wants to get in, just, you know, put your emails there and then, um, we just respond back after a couple of days, we send you like, we give you access and then you can onboard yourself and try it out. Well, certainly having, having too many big product launches to have time to write a blog post on another product launch is a good problem to have, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. No, I, I don't know how we got to it, but uh, it's just, uh, I guess when, when it's all individuals that work on anything, then everyone is super happy and productive. Like they just like to work. So, you know, it's not, I'm talking about Hive, but it's Camille that leads the whole thing. You know, it's like, it's Camille's thing and uh and, and each product that i mention it's a person's leading it um so it's 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 really nice yeah 
I, I was lucky to somehow get to work with really smart people. Uh, so, yeah. I'm curious, you know, earlier you mentioned kind of this concept of sustainable open source and how, you know, building projects and setting them up for long-term durability and, you know, having good community engagement is so important. Like, what advice would you give to someone who's running their own open source projects to optimize on those two vectors and, and um, you know, set themselves up for long-term success in a, in a strong community? It's, it's a good question uh, and a hard question to answer because each project is very different and each person is very different and depends what your goals are uh, for that project. Um, or for doing open source. You know, some people are doing open source to just get their next job and to get a higher pay, or some people really believe in the idea. Some people are really angry that, uh, I don't know, there's no solution for it. And um, there's all kinds of reasons to do open source. So I think for, uh, so I can maybe just share my, I don't know. Uh, so I don't, I, I don't know if I can give advice, but I can just share um, how it was for me. Um, for me, I just, I feel like the idea of open source is we, as developers, we take it for granted, but it's bigger than, I think it's one of the most quiet revolutions that are happening in the last few years. Um, and I think it's going to grow way beyond, um, development and developers. Um, and I think it's going to affect the world in a very, very interesting ways. Um. So I just, I want to be part of that. And I, I feel, you know, uh, and I think, um, I guess what I believe in is that for, for me, what I saw that makes us successful is, first of all, being relaxed, meaning um, how can you make sure you're not working out of stress? Um, for me, the way of doing it was basically cutting off all the expenses that I have, putting all my, this was like a couple of years ago, putting all my belongings in one bag and then just traveling the world uh, with everything I have in one bag and just finding that even if I don't earn a lot of money, it's okay. I'll be fine. Um, not everyone can do it, but um, each person has their own fears, but that's how I, you know, and that, that meant that I, I, I wasn't afraid of like just working calmly on things that I care about. And that's a very powerful thing to have. Everyone now is stressed and worried. And once you're relaxed, it gives you a lot of benefit. Um, so that's one thing. And I guess the other thing, so losing your, being less stressed somehow. I don't know how each person will find their own ways of doing it. Um, so that's one thing that really worked for me. And, and the other thing that I think was, how can I unblock people who want to do work? Because as someone who wanted to contribute to many projects and was being blocked, I felt there's so much energy in the community. Like, yeah, like it's true that you get a lot of Twitter um, rants about like people using the open source and not contributing back and not doing things. That doesn't matter. And that's part of the point. People don't owe nothing to you. But uh, if there's someone who's actually, there's a very few people, there's very few people out there that do want to do the work and they want to help and they have energy. So how can you make sure you, you find, when do these people come, uh, you unblock them. 
you give them the freedom and you you let them use their energy to the best way you move out of the way um so that was something that really helped me i, I and that was also something that was driving me because i was that person for other projects um so i think you know ignore the 99% that just use your, your product like don't ignore don't get angry at them get happy that you're helping them and it's useful for them and also try to listen to their feedback but then most importantly look at that you know 0.0001% that um would like to put the energy and make sure you're unblocking these people because uh they're your most valuable assets and on that subject um i'm curious if there are folks out there that are interested in you know they they're they, they like what they've been hearing interested in working on some of these projects that the guild is working on um, are, are you hiring or can folks join in a part-time capacity or contribute? How does that all work? Uh, that's a good question. Um, so, um, the, the guild's goal is to kind of like unblock these people that I told you about. Now at the beginning, I had a different iteration with the guild, which was, um, I was working with some people and I was convincing them and or building the environment for them to do open source. But they didn't do open source before. So I was like exposing them to open source and giving them tasks. And I found that, first of all, that's not fun for me. And second of all, it wasn't natural for them. So then, you know, I changed the guild to what it is today, which is it's just um, existing developers, open source developers that are already doing the work. Then, you know, we approach them or they approach us. We find each other somehow. And then it fits in. Because then they are from those 0.0001% of people that actually care. They also understand what it means to do open source. Like they understand this, you know, what it what it means. And they we see that they listen to the community and they're nice. Like being a good developer, especially in open source, you can't be an asshole, you know? Like if you're too much of an asshole, it's not gonna work. Um, so all kinds of things like that. And then, so I guess we're, we are not, uh, we're not hiring, we're just trying to find people that want our support. Um, so, and, and that happens, like it's happening more and more and it's really nice and, um, yeah, so if someone, so I guess the answer for people who wants to get into open source or wants to work with us is, I guess, um, if you're already doing open source, then, you know, send us some, uh, somehow a message and we'd love to talk. And if you're not, um, I would say, try to find your way of getting in there. And we will love to support you um, in any way. Um, but I guess, you know, you have to do that process yourself because you'll have to find the open source that you actually care about. You have to find a problem or an issue that actually, you know, bothers you and you want to change. Um, and you have to figure out this, um, I guess, uh, how to get into this relaxed state that you can work on it. You can bring yourself to work on it. Um, and. Uh, you know, for the fun, or I don't want to say for the fun, but for the passion of it, and um, and then it will be successful, and then we can come in and support you with like 
you know, with the group and with, you know, financial help and all these things. But open source is not just about finding the financial support. There's so much more of it and that we can't teach or can't help. Uh, you have to learn yourself. So for folks earlier on in their open source journey, like what are your suggestions on you know how people can think about getting into open source, making their first contributions, choosing a project to start contributing to? Uh, it's a great question. I think um, for me, the first time I saw open source, I was mind blown. And I, I came from like a C++ and .NET background. So everything was... I know there were geniuses building the .NET framework and it was, you know, you couldn't, you would never get there. It's like, you know, there's like, you know, those geniuses that you can't, uh, you would never get there. But I think one of the first things I figured out is nobody knows. <laughs> Everyone is figuring it out. Um, so that's, first of all, makes you lower the level of like, I need to be this or that in order to contribute. Uh, you don't need anything. You just need to be wanting to contribute. And the communities are getting more and more welcoming. So that's nice. You know, it's less scary than it used to be. And I think, again, most of the scariness comes from the people themselves. Like they feel there's like smart people, but the smart people, uh, the maintainers are not that smart. And they just hope for more people to come and ask and help. Uh, so I think that's a very important thing to figure out. Then the... Other thing that I would say is, if you're wanting to get into open source, start with something you're using today. Like I wouldn't look for something that you know, doing open source for the sake of open source. Like think about a tool that you're using today, and you could start first of all by just writing about it. People always feel like there's too, so much content out there. Everyone has done already what I've done, so I have nothing to say or nothing new to add. That's not true. The percentage of people that actually write online content is very few. So everything you can put out there is great. Um, and the second thing is like when you come, you go to the docs or you go to tutorials, what people need to understand is that when they're coming there as learners, they're actually the best people to contribute to those tutorials. Because for me, when I'm writing a tutorial, I already know the subject. So I probably... I'm talking about things I'm not doing it well. I'm not teaching it well. And so coming into docs, um, sharing your experience, and then starting from there to contribute, I think is a, is a great uh, thing to have. For us in the guild, again, the open source, helping people to get into open source is really important. So we build this like um, open source contributor guide. Um, um, that we added to all of our libraries. And that includes like a process, you know, how do you get in? I think that's something that's missing for people. Um, where you start and, you know, what's the process of getting into becoming a contributor? So we build the whole process so you can read it there. And we build um, YouTube tutorials for how to contribute, which I think is really cool. I didn't see too much of that. So, um, you know, I think that's a good source for people to look at without any relation to the guild. I, I mentioned it recently in a, in a, in a podcast I did in, with, uh, in a stream I did with GitHub, and I hope they would use it because uh, they got really excited about it because um, I think it's valuable. It's basically like a 
let's call it a step-by-step -step tutorial on becoming a, 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 main, a contributor um, for any library. It has nothing to do with the guild. We would love to contribute that for any other library out there, uh, if anyone is listening. Looking at GraphQL, um, you know, you and your team spend a lot of time kind of on the cutting edge of the GraphQL ecosystem. So I'm curious, like, what has you most excited, uh, kind of in GraphQL itself or in the ecosystem? I think uh, there's many exciting things about GraphQL. Um, I guess so. Most people know. You know the basics, I would say, but for me, um, I guess maybe I'll share like how I look at it, uh, uh, which is maybe different for from others sometimes. Um, which I'm not saying is good or bad, but it's just like some, maybe it's a different idea than what people usually have. So maybe it's interesting for people to listen. So um, most people are looking at GraphQL as like this thing that sits on the gateway level and it saves you performance or like multiple round trips. And that's that's nice, but I think uh, if you look at GraphQL in a more basic level, it's a query language. Um, and it's, a, I think, a very powerful query language uh, for all kinds of reasons. It can automate a lot of work or a lot of data processing work. Um, so for me, it's more of like there's functions where you call them and you expect to get a result and you don't know what you're going to get. Uh, and those functions also don't care what you're going to do with the data. And then there's query languages, which you send your query, so you send your intent. Uh, and if you look at GraphQL like that, you can start seeing that it could solve things in all kinds of places on your stack. Like you can run it just client side, for example. Like the best, the easiest, and the, the easiest way to uh, adopt GraphQL is just adopt GraphQL on the client side, and then. Keep calling the same services that you call today. You don't need to migrate them to anything, but you can save a bunch of code um, from your client while doing that, like automate a lot of the work. Um, so that's one thing. And then you can do the same from service to service communication. And that has the benefits for the consuming service um, because now you can call multiple services, but it might look like you're just calling one endpoint. Uh, so it can simplify the work. Um, but it also gives you those intent to the provider services. So, for example, um, I, I was in a, in a meetup with a, a company called Commerce Tools. They have like uh, APIs for commerce for third-party partners, and their third-party API is GraphQL. And because it's GraphQL, uh, they got so much information about what the, their uh, third-party partners actually use. So they could evolve their, their APIs much faster uh, and they could build all kinds of really cool tools around that. Uh, so it was very interesting to see their use cases. So I moved from like saying, um, you know, you don't need to use GraphQL at all on the backend. It's like, just use it for what it needs to be. Um, for, like, for today, I'm thinking, yeah, you don't need to use it, but there are some benefits about also using GraphQL for service-to-service -service communication and all kinds of like blasphemies like that. Um, so, and that, that's kind of like um, why we build GraphQL Mesh because GraphQL Mesh was built around that idea. Like I can use GraphQL over in, in any part of the stack and in the architecture and with any protocol. Um, and over the wire, I could still use, let's say, 
um, gRPC or OpenAPI and Swagger, but then I can just convert it on the client side into GraphQL and the client feels like it's GraphQL, um, but over the wire, it's something else. So you can do all kinds of crazy stuff once you change your thinking about GraphQL uh, and you can now start getting the benefits anywhere. Um, also, it means that you think about GraphQL not as just one thing, like this complete set of, um, I don't know, this one technology that has everything in it. You just, you break down the benefits of GraphQL into small pieces. Like, why do you like GraphQL? I like it because of one, two, three, four. And then you just choose the ones that you really care about and use GraphQL just for them in the context that you need. So, you know, it's more uh, free to use it in more places like that. So specifically, what um, what are you most excited about in the future, like coming soon or in the future of GraphQL? Um, so I think, first of all, it's exciting that there's new things coming. I think a lot of people just see GraphQL as like this fixed protocol, um, but, you know, it's not changing much. And it's actually a good thing where the protocol is like very stable and you can build a lot of tools around it. But I think recently, uh, first of all, we joined the foundation, uh, the GraphQL foundation. So we got to see that we can unblock a lot of things that were before scary for people to join or to to try out. But in general, there's a lot of very, there's great people in the community that are now pushing new features. Like um, some of them are not new. Some of them are being used uh, in Facebook for years. Um, one very exciting feature is the different stream um, directives, which is a very powerful concept. Like you can send a query and then you can say this part of the query, if that takes longer, you can send me back what you already have, and then later on, um, send it, send me the rest. So you can render things much quicker than you would before. Um, that's a very, very powerful concept. And you could the, the exciting thing for us using Envelope is that we wanted to use different stream already now, but none of the GraphQL JS is not, you know, haven't released an, a version for it yet. And also none of the frameworks are using it. So that was another reason for us to build envelopes so you could do, we could use those things today. Um, now, if you think about different stream, that means that in a resolver in GraphQL, you can now send multiple responses. And that opens the door for another really interesting thing that's called live queries. Uh, and that's actually something that we also, some uh, Lauren from the Guild just published uh, a library that does that. So live queries meaning I can send a query, a regular GraphQL query, but on some of the parts there uh, of the fields, I can say that those are live fields. So if there's an update, I would receive a push update uh, with the new values of that query. So it could be like, uh, you know, an always up-to-date query, which is very powerful for, um, for clients. And we already use it in some projects and it helps us uh, a lot actually. Uh, so that's a very, very cool thing. Um, I think also, you know, there's um, there's a lot of new proposals. I think another really cool thing is just the fact that now, uh, for me, something very exciting is that GraphQL.org is now easy to contribute again. So GraphQL.org, which is the main website, it's a really great website, but it hasn't changed much, much for a couple of years. And now... We took it, we, we rebuilt it completely using Gatsby. Um, and now it's very easy to contribute. Um, so if, and that's nice because the, 
the I think the first resources that you come into and when you start doing GraphQL, they should be good. And now, you know, if you get stuck, you have you can talk to us and we could improve these do these dogs for everyone. Um, so that's also very exciting for me. Well, Uri, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been awesome learning about the guild and all of the projects and just uh, hearing about your your philosophy on open source and life. Um, I, I really enjoyed speaking and appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really fun. Thanks for listening to PodRocket. Find us at PodRocketPod on Twitter, or you could always email me, even though that's not a popular option. It's Brian at LogRocket.